0: As God's word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you.
1: Radio friends, today we return to our series on the book of Nehemiah, and I ask you to open your Bibles, if one is available to you, to Nehemiah's chapter 6 and follow along. In chapter 5, you will remember that we saw that a great wrong among God's people was corrected by Nehemiah, the wrong of wealthy brethren oppressing the poor families of Israel and showing an utter lack of compassion and the love of God. Nehemiah firmly corrected this. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of God? Ought not the presence of God so work in you that you have compassion toward your brethren? Now as we come to chapter 6, we see that Nehemiah, no sooner than resolving a problem within the walls of Jerusalem, must now turn again and face renewed opposition from those who stand outside of the walls, this time opposition which will be directed against him personally. We read in verse 1 of chapter 6 that the enemies saw that the wall was being builded and that there was no breach left therein. They have, become to un- they have come to understand that threats of physical force will no longer be effective, and that their slanders and trash talk before the workers was not working. If the work, therefore, is to cease, they knew that they must act now against Nehemiah. They must get him out of the way. They must undermine him. If the leader topples, if the leader is discredited, the work will have no eyes and the work will have no force. What is so instructive for us in this scripture is that it tells us plainly that the intention of the enemies was against Nehemiah, and that they had this plot against Nehemiah, verse 9, that their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. The enemies aimed at creating in the workers an inward weakening of resolve and heart, To wear them down with discouragement. When we read that the enemy's intention was that their hands be weakened from the work, this is the same as the Apostle's warning in Galatians 6, verse 9, when he tells us that in the work of the church and kingdom we must not be weary in well doing, we must not be gripped by hopelessness we must not say what's the use why are we doing all of this it's too much there's too much opposition no one appreciates it i'm throwing in the towel i would define discouragement in the work of the lord this way the plot of the devil and our flesh to use the difficulties of our calling whether that calling is marriage job home church or personal life to use the difficulties to get us to look out at the difficulties, and then in at ourselves, but not up. It's the plot to get us to look out at the insurmountable, humanly insurmountable things that are contrary to God's promises. Indeed, to have us make a list of these impossibilities and for us to conclude that in the face of such opposition, it's simply impossible. And then to have us look inside of ourselves. I have no more strength. I'm used up. I can't go on. I can't put up with this any more in this marriage, in this church, in this work. I'm done to have us sink into self-pity and go off and pout and stew and commiserate. In this chapter, we will learn that Nehemiah did indeed look out at the problems. He did indeed look inside of himself. But he looked up. He says, O God, strengthen my hands. In terms of the full gospel, which Nehemiah at that time did not have, but we do, we must have faith in the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, who has the victory, and who works through us his work. We must pray, O God, strengthen my hands. In the chapter, we read that there are four devious plots hatched by the enemies against Nehemiah, the first, to kidnap Nehemiah, you'll find that in verses 1 through 4, to remove him permanently. Sanballat and Geshem try to lure Nehemiah out of the city as they see that the work was nearing completion, the work of the walls, and that the workers were about to hang the doors of the gates. They say to Nehemiah, come, let us meet together in some one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Ono is the valley of craftsmen, and perhaps they chose that place to lure Nehemiah there that perhaps there he could receive some valuable help for the hanging of the doors of or the gates of the walls of Jerusalem. But the point is that it was outside of the providence where Nehemiah had jurisdiction. In Jerusalem, Nehemiah was guarded. Men stood before him, his brethren, with swords. They say to him, Come, let us counsel together. They begin to wave an apparent olive branch. Let's talk things over. Let's discuss our common interests. Let's try to come to an understanding here. But Nehemiah says, They thought to do me mischief. His response is in verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should I leave it and come down to you? Now, I love that answer of Nehemiah, and we ought to use it often when we are tempted to leave the path of duty in the service of God. Nehemiah here is very discerning, something that God gives through prayer. He understands the intent of their offer. Do you, do you through prayer, understand the intent of the apparently innocent invitations? You're attractive. How about dinner Friday night? We're having a party, a little bit of beer. Hey, come on over and we'll watch some videos. Let's discuss sexual behavior. Let's discuss abortion. Let's discuss euthanasia. Often, under the lurk of of openness, the devil seeks to lure us away. Nehemiah responded, I am doing a great work. That's the part I love about it. I'm captivated by this work, and my emotions and my love are all channeled into it so that I don't have the time of day for such an interruption. It's a great work. It's part of God's work. It's the work for His name, truth, people, and cause, I love that work, and it gobbles up everything else in its presence. And we read verse 4, They sent unto me four times after this sort. Four times they sent this apparently innocent appeal. And four times Nehemiah responds after the same manner. I'm doing a good work, a great work. I do not have time to come down to talk to you. The second plot was to malign Nehemiah, to slander him, verses 5 through 9, to make him afraid of the gossip and the common opinion of what others would think about him. We read that in an open letter, Sanballat writes to Nehemiah of the common gossip reported among the heathen, verified by this man called Geshem, which Sanballat says is a reliable source, That Nehemiah writes to Nehemiah and says, do you know that it's the common opinion that what you're doing comes down to sedition, that many people think you're simply trying to rebel against the king of Persia, that you want to set yourself up as a king, and that you have set out heralds to sway the masses toward you. And what will happen if these reports reach the ears of the king of Persia, that his cupbearer is behaving in such a manner? You know, Nehemiah, you might not think there's much to these rumors, but there's never smoke without fire. Come now, therefore, let us take counsel together. I'm speaking as your friend, Nehemiah. We better get together to discuss what we can do about these attempts to ruin your reputation. Nehemiah understood that he said this to make me afraid, that the tactics were obvious to the flesh. We have all seen this, and we are all susceptible to this, the desire to play on what people think about us, the very tool of the devil. Do you know what they say? I think you should know what they say. Maybe it will affect your course of action. You and I need to do something to make you more creditable, more believable. The fear of suspicion to defend ourselves, the attempt to defend ourselves in the forum of rumor and gossip. Nehemiah's response, we read in verse 8, Then I sent to him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thy own heart, Nehemiah refused to be deflected, to be belittled, to be embittered. He does not say, all right, let's bring everything out into the open, let's trace the source of this scandal, let's demand unjust accusations being removed. But he responds, it's not true, and you're fabricating it to make me afraid, and it's not going to work. And he prayed, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. That's instructive. It is not easy to handle unjust accusations. Nehemiah is the object of a smear campaign, of slander. But here the scripture is teaching us. Number one, when you are under such situations, go to God in prayer. Nehemiah sought to maintain integrity there before God. God knows the truth. That's all that matters in the end. Number two, He does not descend into the court of rumor. He will not fight fire with fire. He does not seek desperately to clear himself in the court of rumor. If his conscience is clear, he will proceed with his God-giving duties. And number three, he knew the motive of all of this, to get the work to stop, so that he would not do what his conscience called him to do. What tool? more effective in the arsenal of the devil than this one, rumor, to cause stoppage of the Lord's work, to cause stoppage through the tongue of gossip and rumor. The third plot was to discredit him, to get him to disqualify himself by committing a grievous indiscretion. You read of that in verses 10 through 14. Nehemiah had a friend, Shimeiah, a prophet, who was shut up, that is, was confined to his house in meditation. Nehemiah wanted to go to his house, and we can understand why, that he was in need of spiritual strengthening. As any other man, Nehemiah sought encouragement. But it soon became plain that Shimeiah the prophet, his friend, had been bought by the enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah. They had hired him, they had bribed him, he had his price. And they found it, along with most of the rest of the prophets. We read that Shimei the prophet said, Nehemiah, it's too dangerous to meet at my house. They will come to slay thee. It's too private. It's too exposed. It's too risky. We need to meet in the temple. We will be safe there to talk. We can shut the doors and they won't dare to follow you into the temple. Now that sounded so pliable. So, uh, or so, rather, so plausible. But Nehemiah discerned the falseness. We read verse 12: And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him. Why? Well, because only priests were given free access to the temple. For Nehemiah to go into that temple unannounced, uns- unsanctified, unsanctioned, would be for him to commit ritual tris- trespass and therefore to discredit him to make him guilty of violating something important in the ceremonial law. In the Old Testament, you will find that those who were in terror, who were desperate, who were hopeless in fear, ran into the temple thinking that they would find refuge there. It would be for Nehemiah to broadcast that he was scared out of his wits and was willing to commit A ritual trespass. Nehemiah's answer? Verse 11. Should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Such a man as I am? Thinking of his position among the people of God. His responsibility. Shall I do that? Shall I go in and do this? No. I will not. The fourth attempt was to undermine him and sway his judgments. We read that in those days, during the eight weeks of wall building, that is, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and letters of Tobiah had come to him. During those two months, Tobiah, that religious, false religious leader in opposition to the walls, had been busy laying down a network of covert operators, to infiltrate and to learn of Nehemiah's plans and also to attempt to influence Nehemiah to have his milder views adopted. Tobiah had carried on correspondence with the nobles of Judah, courting their favor, holding out economic gains through alliances and asking to be kept informed of what Nehemiah was doing. And when Tobiah had sought to worm his way in close through marriage, in one of these nobles. One through marriage, Tobiah had the marriage of his son to one of the daughters of these nobles. And these two evidently, the son and the daughter, would attempt to butter up Tobiah to Nehemiah To say to Nehemiah, you know, Tobiah is really not such a bad guy. And they would tell Tobiah everything that Nehemiah was saying. And so through money and through marriage, the enemy sought to infiltrate God's people. Nehemiah, nevertheless, in the face of all of these plots to ensnare him, stood strong in his faith. He did not sink into despair, but he found grace to continue in the work of the Lord. As amazing as it sounds, the work continued, we read in verse 15, So the wall was finished in the twenty-fifth day of the month, Eul, that is, in fifty and two days. Nehemiah found strength not only not to stop, but to press on. And to continue the work. Where did he receive this strength? He received it in prayer. As we come to know Nehemiah, we expect this of him. He was a man who was much in prayer. O God, he prays, strengthen my hands. Persistent, fervent daily prayer is the way that Nehemiah remained strong and clear minded and able hearted to continue in the work of the Lord. Are you weary? Are you fearful? Are you ready to hang it all up in the work of the Lord, in your marriage, in the church, or whatever your calling is as a pastor, or whatever? Prayer makes hands strong for the labor of the kingdom. Prayer that God strengthen our hands. By laying hold of the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ, of the victory that is ours in Christ, that in Christ I am clear in the court of heaven, and that God pronounces me justified, what then of the rumors of men? The victory is ours in Christ. We labor in His name. If through the perfect work of my Lord I am bound eternally to God, whose mercies cannot fail, then I can endure the treachery even of supposed friends. If I know that through Christ my soul is secure eternally, do I need to fear men's plots against me? But not only was it prayer, but it was the conviction that God was working in him. And I find that in verse 16. We read, And it came to pass that when our enemies heard thereof, namely that the walls were completed, and that all the heathen, that were about saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. That's very important. The heathen picked up on something that Nehemiah knew. They saw clearly that the strength behind this work was God's. They didn't like it. It grieved them. It made them cast down. It made them depressed. Because deeply they knew that opposition to this God was futile. But they had to recognize this. The cause of God's people was propelled by the power from a different world. From God. That's why the heathen, the world of unbelief, is at bottom fatalistic. Oh yes, they are. The world of unbelief and all the causes of sin and all the causes of this world apart from God. In all their boastful, optimistic desires to advance their kingdom is at bottom fatalistic. Satan's kingdom is a fatalistic kingdom. They know that opposition to our God is futile. But this is the knowledge that invigorates us. This is the knowledge that picks us up. The work is the work of God in us. Great builders in the kingdom of God are conscious of this. The apostle Paul Colossians one twenty nine, whereunto our labor striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. Are you serious about God's work? About building walls, the walls of truth and righteousness and glory to God in the church and in the home and in the marriage and in your own personal life? Do you experience moments when all seems to cave in? All there is is discouragement. You say, how in the world can this prosper? Look then up to God in prayer and look to Him who sits upon the throne and see Almighty God in Jesus Christ who works and no man shall prevent it. I'm strong when I know that God will accomplish his work in me and that nothing can prevent it. Then let's learn. Let's learn that the enemy against the work of God is subtle. The plots laid down by Sanballat and Tobiah were clever, persistent, and cunning. Behind them stands a far more evil foe, an enemy to whom men like Sanballat and Tobiah are mere pawns in his hands. The devil rages unceasing campaign to frustrate God's work, to weaken our hands, to get us to stop the Christian life. This is the way he works, the same way that he worked on Nehemiah. One plot under the way, and another plot under the way, and another plot under the way, all to bring us down to discouragement, all to have us believe that the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the cause of the Christian church, the cause of the Christian life, is in vain. He seeks to get you down onto his ground. He first might say, Oh, come, let us counsel together. Come out of the church, come out of your family, come out of a life of obedience, I'm not so dangerous. If you withstand him by the grace of God, you will find him to be persistent. Then he will say, you know, there there are some rumors going on around you Christians. Did you know that? I'm I'm just telling you this in your best interest. The devil will say, it's been reported to the Child Protection Agency that uh, you are abusive to your children. Uh, It's been reported that this theology, this Calvinism, is a radical, exclusivistic, hate-centered, bigoted religion. Now, let's get together, says the devil, and let's talk about this, how we can perhaps repackage this doctrine of Calvinism, this glory of God, to make it more pliable to our, our present situation. And if you withstand that, then he will say, You know, you've been under a lot of stress. Uh, It it will be okay for you to set aside the law of your God for for a little bit. Everybody will understand that Christians, too, can commit under pressure indiscretion. He is a master of manipulation. The devil is a master of manipulation. Let us stand fast. Let us look to the grace of God, which is all-sufficient. Let us believe that our God will be our strength, that the forces against the work of Christ are defeated. No, we don't underestimate those forces, but they are defeated for the grace of our God is sufficient. Because the cause that we represent in the church, in the home, and in marriage, and in the Christian life, is not ours. It's not our cause. It's God's. And it's about His honor. Therefore, He promises that all that comes against you will not destroy you. And you will experience sufficient grace, strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. And you will see the wall of the kingdom of God built. Let us pray. Father, thanks for the word. Sanctify it to our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, the Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org